It's Emily here, and today I want to invite you to make sure to check out Robinhood Integrative Health. If you are a resident of the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area, and you're looking for a doctor who treats you differently, looks deeper into the issues that you're having, and seeks to hear you as a person and really help to get you better, then I can't recommend Robinhood Integrative Health, where Dr. Wiggy practices enough. Make sure that you go to their website and see how you can benefit from their services today. And did you know that they even take some insurances, which basically never happens in integrative medicine. So make sure to check them out and enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here and Dr. Wiggy. And today we're going to be taking a dive into a topic that Wiggy deals with quite often, but is something we've not covered on the podcast, and that is Lyme disease and specifically the Lyme controversy as we dig into this first episode, and we might talk more about the treatment and symptoms and that kind of thing of Lyme at a later date. So welcome back to the show, Wiggy. Thank you. And just tell us first of all, I think Lyme disease is something that's not only misunderstood, but not something that a lot of people even know about. Mm -hmm. So tell us, what is Lyme disease? Yeah, many people probably have heard of Lyme disease. It's becoming a lot more um, just mentioned in different articles and um, media. And so at least it's becoming better um, heard of. But there is a lot of misconception, there's a lot of misunderstanding for, for Lyme disease. Uh, what Lyme disease is basically is that it is a tick-borne illness, so it is acquired by being bit by tick. Even though there is some debate about getting it other ways, but it's a tick-borne illness that you can that you get um, after being bit, and then there is this kind of acute syndrome that you have uh, from the infection, and it's uh, from a type of bacteria that forms a specific structure called a spirochete, and this uh, particular infection causes a lot of flu-like symptoms. Uh, you know, fevers, joint aches, pains, uh, and then a lot of times it comes along with a a type of rash called a bullseye rash. And uh, and the acute disease presentation is actually uh, is better understood than where this controversy is heading, which is more of the chronic Lyme disease, because the acute Lyme disease is pretty, again, pretty well established. It's understood uh, from, a, again, from a traditional medicine standpoint, the diagnosis and the treatment, there is a pretty standardized approach to it. But where, again, where we get into more of this controversy is beyond this acute presentation and where there is this uh, discussion about what actually, what is chronic Lyme disease and, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us then, what does chronic Lyme disease mean? to you, mm-hmm. and then we can talk more about the controversy around it. So chronic Lyme disease is basically when you have the acute infection, mm-hmm. and then if it's treated or not, then you still can develop what's called chronic Lyme disease. So if, you, if it's not treated, which there's a lot of people that they don't even remember being bit by a tick, mm-hmm. uh, and they have these kind of weird symptoms for a while, kind of these acute viral, or these acute kind of just flu-like sim- symptoms, and they aren't treated because they don't even go look for it. And then these, their symptoms that just persist mm-hmm. for, for a long time. And even those people that are diagnosed early on and they are treated with an antibiotic, 
then they too can have chronic symptoms. And the, these chronic symptoms are, again, it can be just as something as basic as fatigue, but a lot of times it's, it's fatigue, it's, uh, there's some joint pain with it, and just this overall malaise, people just don't, people don't feel good. Mm -hmm. and, and this is well established that these symptoms persist um, after the acute syndrome, again, even after treatment. Uh, and then th that's where there's some debate about, is that just lingering symptoms? You know, is this just from residual effect from the acute syndrome? Or is this actually a ongoing infection? Mm -hmm. Is this still is this still something that needs to be treated aggressively? And that's where again, there's a lot of a lot of debate around that. Gotcha. So, so what you're saying is some people don't ever remember. Mm -hmm. Some people have not ever been diagnosed with Lyme disease that can end up having chronic Lyme. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. yes, yeah, so I, I wouldn't. I'm not sure what breakdown of patients that we see uh, for chronic Lyme that don't uh, remember being bit and uh, and then when we start looking for it based on their symptoms that they've had and then we, we end up finding it and that's what we, we we discover with the practice is that when we start looking for this even with standard testing uh, we had a lot of people showing up positive mm -hmm. and then we had to figure out what to, what to do with that right but yeah a lot of people they they don't either remember being bit or they were bit a long time ago and they said that maybe they were checked by you know one test at some point and it was negative and so they assumed that it wasn't wasn't a problem but when these symptoms again they persist for so long and if there is that that timing connection with mm -hmm. with after getting bit then again you have to be you have to consider this as a possibility and and that's again that's what we did with our with at our practices and once we started looking for it we started finding these people that had positive tests even positive standard tests uh, for Lyme disease and then we had to figure out again how to how to best handle it and treat them. Right. Well, before we talk about that, let's talk about the controversy. So you mentioned that you know there's there's a couple of pieces of this from standard testing mm -hmm. to it gets much deeper than that. So how would you best define the Lyme controversy? Yeah, it's challenging to to define that. The and I was trying to allude to that earlier as far as the different opinions as far as what happens after the initial infection. So there are really two main paths or, or worlds of thought uh, for, for chronic Lyme. One is that chronic Lyme is an ongoing issue after the initial infection with some degree of there still being some form of infection. And then the other camp, which again, there's, there's the symptoms is not, that's not controversial. We know the symptoms persist after the acute infection, but the other side of it, they say that well, there's not any ongoing infection. It's just that they feel they still feel bad after the initial infection, and it's called uh, post Lyme syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's basically said well, there's there's really nothing that's really still wrong with them, but they that they but they feel bad. So it's just a different uh, opinion as far as is it just is it just them feeling bad from the initial infection, or is there still a problem that needs to be treated? Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So what are your thoughts on that <laughs> as far as the, how do you step into that next yeah. um, diagnosis or treatment with a patient from your perspective? Yeah. Well, so, and I think it's important to try to get people to, to think about this one. Because again, one of the thoughts is that this is just 
after the infection, mm -hmm. they are still lingering symptoms, but there's nothing wrong with the, there's nothing necessarily wrong with with the patient. Right. And I think that's, I think that's that is the inaccurate way of uh, of interpreting these symptoms after these patients that are that are sick. That's the post Lyme syndrome, because there's something causing them to still feel bad. Right. Right. There's, they they don't just feel bad because they want to they want to feel bad. They they still have these lingering symptoms. So I think that. It's more likely the, the latter, which is the chronic Lyme disease, is still an issue. And I think that that's what more of the recent research and data is pointing towards, that there is a such thing as chronic Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And it is a combination, likely, of lingering uh, infection, uh, where the, the Borrelia burgdorferi, the, the infection, still, still persists, mm -hmm. uh, along with potentially some other infections, what are called co-infections. And then there's likely some degree of immune system dysfunction that also happens uh, with Lyme disease. And so it's, it's more of a, it's a compilation of things going on. And so it's actually one of the harder things to treat right. because it's not as easy as just giving an antibiotic. And that's part of the challenge is that it's not just a simple infection. Right. If it was, we could just give, you know, three weeks of doxycycline and they'd be better. But we don't see that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it helps quite a bit, but it doesn't necessarily cure them. But I think it's again it's important important if you if you have these symptoms that are that are lingering, you know fatigue, joint pain, some neurologic symptoms, anxiety, depression that just can't really be explained by anything. Especially if you have a history of a tick bite, mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to tell you that, that that's just post Lyme syndrome. Right. And there's and and good luck. There's well, nothing that you can do when there are things you can do, and and treating it does help. Well, and to me, like, how do you put a parameter on that? Like, how long is acceptable mm -hmm. to have symptoms and still call it post-Lyme syndrome? Like, do, do they say that that goes on for 10 and 15 years? Like, Yeah, so there's no time cutoff. Mm. It's just if you've had Lyme disease and you still feel sick, then you just have this post-Lyme syndrome. And... And again, and really, there's really there's no real treatment for it. Right. The the best treatment that is generally offered from the traditional medicine, medical circle is like antidepressants, mm -hmm. and 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 not, and that's not going to fix any problem. They may feel a little bit less depressed about being sick, mm -hmm. but it doesn't actually fix any of the underlying pathology. Right. Okay. So, what is more? What, how does integrative medicine approach chronic Lyme differently? Well, so we're we're along the lines of there's an organization called ILADS, which is, which is the um, International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, which which basically says that Lyme, chronic Lyme disease exists and it and it needs to be treated. Uh, we don't necessarily follow their guidelines exactly because it's kind of a, from a traditional medical world that that organization has developed, and they basically just say you need to use lots of different antibiotics for an extended period of time. Uh, we will use antibiotics and then we'll, we will continue them if they're helpful, but we think that, again, this is more complicated than just a, just a simple infection. So the first step for trying to get people out of this hole that they get from, from chronic Lyme is that first we need is a clearer picture for what is the entire milieu of infections going on. So a lot of times there is Lyme disease. But we see that more often than not, there are other infections as well. Mm -hmm. So more often than not, there's some other uh, co-infection like uh, Bartonella or Babesia or Ehrlichia or other like viral infections like Epstein-Barr virus. And so we do more testing on the front end to try and get a better 
better view of what's happening, a better kind of picture, because then we have a better idea of what to start going after. Mm -hmm. And then when we have a clearer picture, then we, then we really just start trying to peel off some layers here and start, start some treatment and then kind of go down that, that path where, where we're seeing progress. And then we pivot when we need to. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's, there's really not necessarily an exact protocol we use for everybody. Right. It's based on based on the individual, based on the in, based on the unique infections that they have, and then also based on their unique unique response. Talk to me. Tell us about. Um, I know you guys. Have, you've had a lot of people come to your practice who are very frustrated and overwhelmed because they know they felt terrible for so long, mm -hmm. and they maybe know that they, they, they believe they have chronic Lyme and no one has been willing to treat them mm -hmm. to that point. So is that something that happens semi-regularly or? Yeah, it happens all the time. Right. And this is where, this is part of the controversy is that traditional medicine and not everybody, but uh, most doctors were trained that chronic Lyme disease does not exist. That it's only this post Lyme syndrome and there's nothing you can do besides can try to control their symptoms, uh, more or less. So a lot of times patients that come to us with, with these symptoms, especially with the concern of Lyme disease, and if we do confirm that diagnosis, uh, it's very frustrating for them because a lot of times they, they, they've been bounced around to a bunch of different doctors mm -hmm. over you know, a, a decade or so, mm -hmm. sometimes, for, sometimes for decades. It's really uh, disheartening is that they have been trying to find answers for years and they have felt terrible for that long. And we finally confirm that that's what they have based on some unique testing that we, that we have. And the first kind of reaction is, is some, some, some sort of, is, is gratitude really, mm -hmm. is that they feel like, well, finally I, I, I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I, I have a reason why I've been tired for the past 20 years and why my joints are always inflamed and painful. And so there is that gratitude that we were willing to dig deeper and try to figure out what's, what is causing these symptoms. But then part of it is also some frustration with traditional medicine is that, well, why didn't, why didn't my doctor look for these things? Or why didn't, why didn't they dig a little bit deeper when they see, the symptoms seem consistent with that? And you know, in, in doctor's defense is that we're not really trained to dig deep. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to dig beyond the surface. And we're also told not to dig beyond the surface. Right. That if the initial primary test comes back negative, they don't have Lyme disease, they don't have chronic Lyme disease, and there's nothing else that you should do. Right. That's kind of the, that's the standard approach. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about some of the tools that are in your toolbox that you guys generally I know every patient is different and mm -hmm. I sometimes hesitate to have you go into some of that because what, what we don't want our listeners to do is say, okay, well, here's, this is the checklist of what I need to do because, um, yeah. but, and, and every patient is so different, especially with something as complex as Lyme and different symptoms. And I know there's a variety of different tests and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So will you, let's talk about the testing sure. first and then maybe some of the broader treatment approaches that can be helpful. Sure, that's fair. So for, for Lyme disease, there are lots of different tools, and I think a lot of different tools are necessary to come up with an, with an accurate diagnosis. Now one thing with regards to testing, 
people should be people should be tested for this if there are some unexplained symptoms that have persisted for a long period of time definitely if they've had a tick bite but even if they haven't because there's probably about 50 percent of people that have not been bit by a tick but still have these lingering symptoms so it, it doesn't hurt to look mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing it's important to to look because if you don't look you won't find it uh, but some of the tools we have so there are some traditional tests that i think are helpful for pointing us in the direction of lyme disease kind of yay or yay or nay uh, one is just a standard lyme disease test called a western blot uh, that one's a little bit more accurate than the initial test called an ELISA test. So most people that have a tick bite and symptoms, they'll go to the doctor, they'll get an ELISA test. And if that test is negative, then it stops there. Mm. But that test, again, is, there's, it's notorious for being false negatives, where it's negative, but it actually, they actually have the disease. Right. So it's, it's really a, it's a pretty, pretty bad test. So what, if it's positive, though, it reflexes to what's called a Western blot. A Western blot is a more comprehensive test that looks for what are called bands to look for different antibodies to different parts of the Lyme disease. So the Western blot is a little bit better test than ELISA test. Still not perfect, but it's a better test. So a lot of times we'll start off with a Western blot. And again, just starting there, looking for standard tests, we find lots of people with positive Western blots. A positive Western blot, there's very few false positives. There are quite a few false negatives, but a positive test generally indicates that they have the disease. So the Western blot is a good standard test to start with. Another standard test as far as, you know, being able to extend to LabCorp or Quest, another good test is called a NKCD57 test. This is a specific type of uh, white blood cell type that is suppressed with things like chronic Lyme disease. Hmm. So not many things suppress this particular cell line. But if this particular um, natural killer cell is the levels are low, then that generally indicates that there is something going on that's suppressing that, that part of the immune system. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we get concerned about when that level is low is, is Lyme disease. And it's a simple test. Anybody can run this test. It's done through LabCorp. And we've found so many people with a low CD57. And that tells us that it's probably still worth digging even if the ELISA test is negative and the Western blot is negative, but they have this low CD57, mm -hmm. it's probably still worth, worth digging just to rule, com, rule it completely out or to rule it in. Right. Okay, so those are the three more accessible tests. Mm -hmm. And you can get, for most people, a good picture yep. of what's happening. Yes. So most doctors will not run all those three. They'll run just the one, the ELISA test, and if it's negative again, it's it's done. You're you're, right. you're it's a it's a no and move on basically. But I think the three standard tests are are good place to least to start. Mm -hmm. But if if there is still suspicion, either based on symptoms or based on the on the blood work, and a lot of times we, this is kind of a common picture. We'll see like a low CD57, like below the range. Mm -hmm. So they're showing us there's something there. And then we'll see like two or three bands on a Western blot. We need to have five mm. for it to be positive. Okay. So not, not necessarily full-blown positive, but still something is showing up there. And then there are some experimental or some, some different tests. I wouldn't even say experimental, but more um, alternative tests mm -hmm. that you can do for a more of a confirmation. Okay. And we have, a, we have two main tests that we, that we use to help confirm the diagnosis. Uh, one of the tests is a PCR test, which is 
they run the sequence of the DNA for Lyme disease plus the co-infections, mm -hmm. and they look to see if they're able to amplify that, that signal. Hmm. And so a lot of times with this urine test, this urine PCR test, we can amplify that DNA in their urine yeah. of the Lyme disease or of the co-infections. And with that, again, there's very few false positives. There mm -hmm. can be some false negatives, but very few false positives. And so if they have the DNA of Lyme disease being expressed in their urine, then, then that's most likely the answer for right. what it is that they're dealing with. And then there's another test. Um, it's, it's basically an enhanced version of the Western blot. Uh, so we have, a, we have a test from a, a company that expands the bands that are looked for for Lyme disease. So there used to be more bands on the Western blot. It actually was changed uh, somewhat recently where they said, well, we're getting, we're getting too, many, uh, too many false readings. And a lot of that was from the trial of a Lyme disease vaccine back in the day. So there were some false kind of positives based on that, on that vaccine. And so they removed those bands. And so we put some, the, this company put those bands back in and then they also added some other ones that are specific for Lyme disease. And so it helps us again to get more of a, uh, a fuller picture if Lyme disease is part of the problem. But we also find with these other tests, the urine PCR test and this expanded test, is that it also looks for the co-infections. Mm. So sometimes it's not Lyme disease. Sometimes it's not Borrelia burgdorferi. That's the, that's the technical term for Lyme disease. Sometimes it's Bartonella. Mm. Sometimes it is Babesia. It's another tick-borne illness that can cause similar symptoms mm -hmm. that is showing up positive. Interesting. And if that again, if it's showing up positive, if you're if you're peeing out the DNA of these infections, <laughs> then it's a problem. That's, right. That's hard to deny. Right. right. Interesting. See, I learned alongside all our listeners. It's so great. Um, okay. So, where do you? I know that obviously everything you just described. There's so many different combinations and ways that this can look and severity and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the most general and, and regularly used treatment options within your practice mm -hmm. that you find to be the most impactful for Lyme yeah. disease? With Lyme disease, you have to hit it from pretty much any angle that you can, especially if it's been there for a long time. So if someone had you know a tick bite back 10 years ago and they've felt terrible since then and they end up still testing positive and they probably have had it for that long and so it's been deeply ingrained into their system this can get into the cells this can get into the tissues and so it's 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 really pretty hard to treat but the the main thing is is that we you have to use all tools available this is not as simple again as just doing like a round of antibiotics that 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 doesn't really work so there are categories that we use so there are natural treatments. So there are natural antibiotics, there's, there are natural immune balancing supplements that we'll use. And we'll kind of use, that, use those as the foundation or the baseline. Mm -hmm. And then there are pharmaceutical medications, antibiotics primarily. Uh, doxycycline is kind of considered the gold standard for Lyme disease, but there are other antibiotics that have good activity against Lyme disease and the co-infections like minocycline, azithromycin, moxicillin. Those all seem to be helpful and they can be used we, we generally try not to do them long term because that's where you can run into some issues if you use an antibiotic long term, especially with your gut. So a lot of times what I'll do, I'll pulse it. I'll you know try it for a couple of weeks. If patients see a nice improvement, then we'll try it again. Mm -hmm. And as long as they're seeing improvement, then we'll, we'll continue with it. But we don't try to do it long term because like we're trying to, trying to weigh the risks and the benefits. And then there are some IV therapies that also have been shown to be beneficial, primarily on the immune system side. 
So different things help, like IV vitamin C, seem to help modulate and balance the immune system. Even though there is some antibacterial and antimicrobial properties to them, uh, but really seems just to help kind of boost the immune system. So most people with chronic Lyme disease need some degree of all of them. Uh, and part of this is patient preference. Some patients don't want to do antibiotics ever. Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, that's, you know, we'll, do, we'll do what we can without it. Some people only want antibiotics. We don't really do that, but that's mm -hmm. what some people prefer. And there are plenty of doctors that will just do antibiotics. Right. We'll, and we'll, we can kind of get them referred to them if, if that's what they want to do. But most people want, you know, kind of this comprehensive approach, a combination of natural treatments, some antibiotics if they're helpful, and then some IV therapies if we're not, if we're not making a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's a lot of information. Wow. Let's talk about how, well, in our conversations lately, we've talked a little bit about how the situation with um, traditional medicine and COVID and not treating early and, you know, and, and even I think as we were talking today, this whole idea of the lingering symptoms and there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with you, a lot of people are experiencing post-COVID syndrome, mm -hmm. feeling really terrible for long periods of time and or post-vaccine um, injuries, symptoms, all kinds of things that are happening for long periods of time and vary in intensity. And it seems like there's a lot of correlation and this whole idea that we just were going to cut off what we're willing to deal with mm -hmm. because of, I don't know why, I don't know what, why the because is, but, mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on correlations to Lyme and COVID and the yeah. treatment or lack thereof? Well, I think that's probably it. The, the biggest correlation is, is the lack thereof treatment mm -hmm. uh, with, with COVID. And this has been, you know, frustration for a long time is that most doctors are not treating it. Mm -hmm. Most doctors are just telling people to go home and wait till symptoms, symptoms get worse. And so the, the best parallel with that with Lyme disease is, is really more along the, the chronic Lyme disease uh, front where they say, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, this is just, this is in your head, or this is just, you know, the, there's, this is just how you feel, mm -hmm. and there's nothing that can be done, and just go home and continue to live miserably. Yeah. It's a, it's a similar kind of mindset as saying, look, there's, well, there's nothing I can do, so then just, it's not my problem, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, that, yeah, we see that with, with COVID, which is, again, has been, that is more of an acute issue, and that is really, I think, a lot of people have been harmed by not being treated. And the same thing with, with chronic Lyme is that a lot of people are being harmed by doctors not being fully informed and fully aware of Lyme disease and the implications and the research. Mm -hmm. And this is where it's, it's, it's kind of confusing to me is that COVID treatment, the research is there. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do, doctors can do their research on their own and they can figure out that the treatment works. Same thing with chronic Lyme disease. A lot of doctors, I would say the vast majority of doctors, still deny the existence of chronic Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. They still say, nope, uh, this is what we learned in, in residency. Chronic Lyme disease does not exist. But if you do your research, there's way, way more research that chronic Lyme disease exists and it needs to be treated versus the other side. The other side that it says it doesn't exist isn't based on research, it's based on opinion. Mm. It's not based, not based on science, and that's where, but they will still stick to that, that chronic Lyme disease should not be treated and it doesn't, and it doesn't exist. 
And so that's another similarity is that we have to be questioning the authorities. Mm -hmm. We have to be questioning, you know, why are they saying that this doesn't exist? And they have to do your own research and you'll figure out that that is not actually an accurate statement. And you can, people can weigh the research. And if you do your, if you, if you look into it, you'll find that there's way more research towards chronic Lyme disease being a problem and that it needs to be treated. Uh, and so we have to always, again, we can't just go off of what other people tell us. Mm -hmm. Again, this, I'm talking more to doctors. They can't, you can't just go off of what, you know, we learned in residency or what the academy above you tells you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're right, a lot of times they are, but sometimes they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm always right either, but sometimes they are wrong and you have to be willing to say, well, why are these people still feeling so sick? Why aren't they feeling better? Is it possible that this is something that needs to be treated? And then figure it out. Right. And, then, and then you basically, once you, start, once you start looking for it, you find it. Once you start treating it and people getting, or start getting better, then you know that it has to be a problem. I mean, sure. otherwise, why would they be getting better if there, wasn't, if there wasn't an issue? So there's lots of similarities, you know, I think between the way COVID was handled acutely and how Lyme disease is handled chronically. Right. And how a lot of times, again, the onus is put back on the patient, mm -hmm. not on the treating providers. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I agree with all of that. It's, uh, I think what we can learn as patients, because we're all going to be a patient at some point, is that we have to do so much of our own research and come in and be educated and be, and feel, um, prepared to share and, and ask mm -hmm. and to take on a proactive approach to our own health versus a reactive approach, assuming that any provider that we go and see is going to look and dig and not yeah. give up. Because I think, I think we have that mentality, but unfortunately, especially with the um, standardization of medicine, yeah. as that continues to be a bigger and bigger thing as um, hospital conglomerates are larger and larger and they've completely taken over primary care for the most part. And looking at what's happened with primary care over the last two years, where if you're sick, you're not going to see your doctor. They're going to yeah. send you to the urgent care. So right. um, everything has changed dramatically and I don't foresee the standard of medicine in the big standard in, in the bigger conglomerates that we've been what we've known for the past decade or mm -hmm. longer um i don't see that getting better anytime soon but what we have seen is that there are providers literally fleeing from that in yeah. order to treat patients better listen to their patients treat their patients use their clinical skills that they've spent so much time and energy learning and um, it's I'm very hopeful in that because I mm -hmm. think we're gonna see the structure of medicine change in in a way that provides a lot more options for a lot more people I'm, outside of the yeah. big conglomerates yeah absolutely and I th I'm also hopeful that this shift away from big medicine mm -hmm. towards you know, smaller practices and independent practices is also going to provide a lot of hope and help 
for these chronically sick patients, mm -hmm. like with like with Lyme disease, because the, the mentality with how you treat uh, COVID is a similar mentality with how you treat uh, Lyme disease. Is that you you use the tools that are available based on the the research and the science that you that you're familiar with, mm -hmm. and so I think that doctors that are open to treating COVID, which there are more people, more doctors than I think people realize. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are doing it under the radar. Right. But there are a lot of people that are, they, they know it's the right thing to do. They've done their research. They see that there's clear, uh, there's clear weight, weighting of the evidence towards treatment and, and they're willing to step out and do that. And so that mentality of stepping out to say, you know, even though certain people are telling me not to do it, I've done my own research and I feel like it is the best thing to do for my patients. That same mentality overlaps with Lyme disease. And so I'm actually hopeful that when the dust settles with COVID, because I think there's going to be some debate about COVID even mm -hmm. after the fact, you know, is this long hauler syndrome? Mm -hmm. Is this post COVID where it's just kind of residual irritation, inflammation that may last for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, which is, I, I'm hoping that's all it is. It's just post COVID. It's just kind of lingering symptoms. But I think there is a possibility, and this is where we'll, we'll need more time to figure that out. Is this is it possible for COVID to become chronic? Mm. You know, like chronic Epstein Barr virus. Right. And I think that we'll have to see that. And I think that I think that's possible hmm. because we are seeing some weird symptoms years after mm -hmm. the infection, which shouldn't. You know, if this is lingering symptoms, it shouldn't last for years. Right. So that's gonna be, and we're also seeing really sky high antibodies after years. Mm -hmm which is also interesting because you shouldn't see super high antibodies, you know, years after the infection. And that's one of the ways we look for like Epstein-Barr, how right. high are the levels. So that's going to be interesting too, is like, is this going to become like another chronic infection that needs to be treated? And there's, there's again, different ways of approaching, approaching that, but it's possible. Sure. And so I think there's going to be a lot more doctors that are going to be starting to question things like, you know, COVID, but also questioning things like Lyme disease. Right. Because there's, there's so much overlap. Well, and I'm I'm really encouraged just in mentioning that um, we our network of physicians that stand for medical freedom and basically what that means is they want to treat their patients as individuals. Um, we were provided a training a couple not long ago on some treatment for autoimmune and post COVID and doctors and providers from all across the board, all across specialties that would not usually mm -hmm. be treating this. Yeah. are and they would attend to that and everyone was so excited about it because they're willing to step out and do what they can knowing that this is a problem yeah. and um, I can help do something about it and I think I do hope that all of that does bleed together with some of these other lesser known or lesser treated perhaps yeah. chronic infections right. like Lyme disease so Thank you all so much for joining us. I hope that you took away some tidbits of information. I know I did. We are grateful for you listening. We always appreciate your reviews. If you have questions, you can send those in to us as well. And we hope that you will share this episode with a friend. Thank you, and we'll catch up with you next time.